it was a significant moment at Bluegrass Airport in Lexington, Kentucky. Well over a decade ago, Donna stood there with tears streaming down her cheeks. She witnessed her son and his wife and her only granddaughter get on an airplane and head to Africa. Her son, Chandler, his wife, Kelly, they had grown up in my student ministry at the church I served at in Kentucky. God had called them to go to Madagascar to preach the gospel and to plant churches amongst unreached people groups. And it was a moment in which she felt such conflicting emotions, feeling such pride and sadness, gratitude and grief. And she said these words, God sent his son for me. So now I'm giving my son back to him. Now, I've never experienced that as a parent, but there are families here in our church who have sent a child to the nations, and they have shared with me these feelings of feeling just so proud and full of joy. That's my son, that's my daughter, and they're going to the nations and simultaneously feeling great sadness, feeling the, the fear of sending your children off to go to the nations. Quite possibly, that was the feeling of the church of Antioch. The Spirit of God said, Set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the task I have called them to do. And we see where the church gathered together and they prayed and they sent off Saul and Barnabas to take the gospel to the nations. And what began at the church of Antioch of sending out their best, we see that it's just the beginning of the missionary journeys of the apostle Paul. And that's what we see happening in Acts chapter 13. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 13. We're going through this great historical narrative of the book of Acts as a faith family and studying how the church began in Jerusalem and how it has multiplied outward to the ends of the earth. That indeed what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth is now being fulfilled. In Acts 13, we saw last week in verses 1 through 3 where the church uh, set apart Saul and Barnabas. They laid hands on them and sent them out. Now this is just the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey. Now, we see in Scripture that Paul made three missionary journeys. I believe I could make an argument he made a fourth at his trip from Jerusalem to Rome. I believe I could make an argument, but we're not going to go there today. But over the course of his ministry, Paul would travel 10,000 miles. Most of those miles were traveled either by foot or by boat. He would go to modern-day nations such as Greece Turkey, Cyprus, Crete, Syria, Italy, Lebanon, and Israel. And throughout his ministry, he would plant and establish more than 14 churches. 
Now, as a kid, whenever I took a road trip with my family, I really enjoyed having in my lap an atlas. An atlas. I love having maps. I love the the texture, the feel, being able to track where the highway and the interstate was going, seeing regions and cities. Well, something I would encourage you to do as we begin chapter 13 through the rest of the book, through the rest of chapter 28, is to have a good Bible atlas. Something you can have at home if you're a Bible nerd like me. Uh, I've got the Hammond Bible Atlas. I really enjoy it because it's a map that I can follow and trace and see. And if you don't have one and don't get one, that's fine. There are probably na- uh, maps at the very end of your Bible, just inside the back cover, where you can trace and follow along the movement of the Apostle Paul. But what we're going to see from chapter 13 through the rest of the book is the movement of the Apostle Paul and how he is at work traveling around the world, taking the gospel throughout modern-day Asia, and Europe. He's getting the gospel to those who have never heard. And from chapter 13 through chapter 28, we're going to see Paul traveling with various companions, planting churches, making disciples, and seeing the gospel go global. And so in Acts 13, we see the first stop for Paul and Barnabas in the island nation of Cyprus. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 13, beginning with verse 4. And the scripture says this, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Arriving in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. They also had John as their assistant. When they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bargesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, that's the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elymas and said, You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil, an enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now, look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. Immediately, a mist and darkness fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then when he saw what happened, the proconsul believed, because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord." This morning, I want you to notice in the text how the Spirit worked in and through this mission team and what this means for us. The first thing I want you to see in the text is the commission of the Spirit of God. The commission of the Spirit of God. We saw last week in verse 2, the church at Antioch, they're worshiping, they're praying, they're fasting, they're going hard after the Lord. And the Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I love how the Spirit said, set apart for me right? The Spirit saying, these two men, they belong to me. They're on my agenda. Their lives belong to me. I'm the one who's calling them. I'm the one who is sending them. The Spirit is saying, they are mine. Now make no mistake, it is God who calls It is God who sends His people. The Holy Spirit stirs and speaks into the hearts of His people, but it's the church that affirms and confirms the calling. 
Now, church planting is not having entrepreneurs who desire to franchise out the gospel into new locations. Ministry is not for charlatans who want to manipulate people for money or for power. The New Testament model is that of a divine calling upon someone's life by the Spirit, and it's confirmed by the church. The local church confirms the conversion, the character, the calling, and the competency of that person. How many people have gone to the mission field or gone into ministry because mama called or because daddy sent? The model of the New Testament that the Spirit of God speaks, calls, and draws someone, sets them apart for a specific task, and the local church comes alongside and says, yes, we affirm what that calling, we see that. So if someone says, hey, I feel like God's calling me into ministry, but the local church looks at their life, they look at their competency, and you're like, you know what? We as a church don't, don't see that. We do not affirm that. And we'd say that person is not called. Or someone where the sense in which the church says, man, that guy, he should be in ministry. He's so gifted at that. But the Spirit has not given that person the desire. That person's not called. What we see in Acts 13 is where the individual calling is matched and confirmed by the local church. It's where the church comes alongside and says, yes, we see Jesus at work in your heart and your life. We have seen authentic faith. We see that you're you're growing in your character and your competence and how you rightly handle the word of truth and how you lead and love and care for people. We see that modeled right here in the text. You see, it's the Holy Spirit who is the one who calls and sends his people, but it is confirmed through the local church. But for Paul and Barnabas, they're going to hold fast to this calling. Because there's times in ministry in which calling is all that you have. As they're about to face temptation and struggle and hardship and persecution, They're going to need to hold fast to this calling that the Spirit had placed upon their life. That persecution is coming their way. There are going to be times in which it's going to be easier to walk away from the mission. In fact, we see right here in the text where John, we see verse 5, was their assistant. This is John Mark. He's on this mission with them. What we're going to see next week when we get to the next passage over, John Mark abandons them. He jumps ship. We don't know why. Scripture doesn't tell us. But it, we're going to see later on in the book of Acts, Paul is like, he ain't going with me again. He, he, he jumped ship. He quit last time. There's going to be a temptation for Saul and Barnabas to walk away. But calling sometimes is all that you've got. Now, make no mistake, God calls some people to a specific task. But I don't want you to miss seeing yourself as someone who is also called and sent by God as a missionary. If you are in Christ, you are a missionary. When you go to Publix, you're a missionary. When you go to the ball field, you're a missionary. When you're walking your neighborhood, you're a missionary. When you go to work, you're a missionary. You are a representation of Jesus. You're his ambassador, and you have a message to proclaim to the people in your life. That right where God has planted you, you get to represent Christ. And here's the thing. You already know the culture, the language, the people, the food. You already have the relationships. You have skin in the game. You have an opportunity in which you get to reach people with the gospel. Other people may not ever have the opportunity. There are people in your life who will never step foot in a church. 
but they'll listen to you. You have the relationship. You've invested in them. You have that connection. Oh, we are not just a church of professional pew sitters. That's not going to be us. We're a church of preachers. I see thousands of people who are called by God to take the gospel to those who have never heard. That we are the people who have been set apart with a message to take to the nations. That we are the people who get to take the name of Christ to those who've never heard. There's a, a guy in my neighborhood who I, a couple years ago, he was there and he was uh, working and I walked up to him and I said, hey man, um, we built a, a little bit of a friendship and I just, it was a Sunday afternoon. I just preached on evangelism, and I thought, well, come on, Bruce. So I went to him, and I sat, I sat down with him. I said, hey, man, can I just tell you something that's on my heart? And he said, yeah, sure. And so I, I shared the gospel with this guy. I just walked him through it as simply, as clearly as I could. And he kind of had this weird look on his face. And I asked him, I said, has someone ever told you this? And he said, no. I've never heard of this before. And it hit me. I've got an, a guy who's never heard the gospel, who's in my own neighborhood. Y'all, we got a mission field in front of us. There are people right here in your community who don't know Jesus. And you have an opportunity to go and reach them with the gospel. That you are one who has been sent by God to a specific place and to a specific people. You already know the language, the culture, the people. You get to go in and share Christ. And it's, it's not complicated. And it's just shining the light of Jesus where you already are. This week, uh, there's a men's discipleship group that meets at a donut shop. And this week, they were meeting together and they were studying the word together. That's, that's what our men's D groups do. Man, they, they study scripture, they memorize scripture, hold each other accountable. Uh, me and my guys, we meet at Chick-fil-A and we, just, we, we study the word together. It's such a great joy in having accountability in your life. Well, these guys were at the donut shop and then there was a family sitting next to them and they just, they saw them studying the scriptures. They struck up a conversation and these guys just, hey, listen, are y'all go to church anywhere? And they're like, no, we don't go. Like, we'd love for y'all to come. Last Sunday, in comes the family. They got to come and they, their kids got connected and had a great experience, got to hear the gospel. It's not hard. We're a people who are called to be missionaries. This is what's happening here in Acts 13. God sets these two apart. But let's not miss that all of us have the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may not have the gift of evangelism, but we're all still called to preach Christ to those in our community, that we are a people who are sent. When we conclude our worship gatherings with the words, we are sent, it's a reminder of the great commission that God has called all of us to go. Well, what do we do as those who are sent? Well, we see it here in the text. The second part is the proclamation of the word of God. Paul and Barnabas, they make their way from Antioch down to the coastal city of Seleucia, verse 4. It's about 16 miles west. They set sail and make a 60-mile boat ride to Barnabas' home country of Cyprus. Cyprus is the third largest island in the Mediterranean. And Barnabas would already know the culture, the weather, the people, the language, the people in his island. Barnabas probably took Paul to his favorite places to eat, introduced him to friends and family throughout the country. And they start in Salamis on the far east coast. 
in which they begin preaching the word, and they make their way west all the way to the capital city of Paphos. And what are they doing? The, verse, the text tells us, verse 5, they proclaimed the word of God. Paul and Barnabas, they, they went throughout the nation preaching the word. In fact, next week, I can't wait to unpack with you the message of Paul. We get to see the content uh, of what his preaching looked like. We get to study his sermon, how he would take the scriptures and appoint them to Christ and use them to invite people to believe the gospel. What we see here is a message, a proclamation. Y'all, we have a gospel to preach. We have a message to proclaim. Paul told the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4, for we preach, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. That we don't preach ourselves. We're not out to point people to the name on the back of the jersey, right? We preach Christ. We tell people who Jesus is and what he has come to do for them. That we have this message that we have heard and received. Someone loved you enough to tell you about Jesus. And you believed. And so now as one who has received the gospel, you now get to be a conduit through which the gospel gets to go forth. You have a message to proclaim. That we get to preach Christ. We don't preach ourselves. We don't go around bragging about how awesome we are. We go around bragging about how awesome Jesus is. That he's the savior of the world, the king of the universe, the one who came and gave his life for us at the cross. That we are only alive, awake, and breathing because he said so. And by his grace and for his glory, he came to rescue us, to save us from sin, death, hell, and the grave. That Jesus came to rescue us. And this is the message we proclaim. We preach Christ. We let the word of God go forth in and through his people. We preach and we trust the spirit to do the heart work. But not everyone's going to believe In fact, some people are going to be antagonistic. This is what we see thirdly right here in the text. The opposition to the messengers sent by God. Elymas was a magician, a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet, the text tells us. This is a great reminder that when you share the gospel with people, you're entering into spiritual warfare. That when you go to the gym and you start sharing Jesus, this is not just an average conversation. You're entering into spiritual warfare. You're entering into spiritual combat. Now, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the rulers and the cosmic authorities of the air. But when you start sharing the gospel with your team at the ball field, when you're in the classroom and you're sharing Jesus with somebody, you're entering into spiritual warfare. That you are entering into a fight, not against the person, but against the enemy. That you are going to be taking from him spoils of war. What you're saying is this person belongs to Jesus. And I'm praying and I'm preaching and I'm asking God to save and rescue this person. And it's hard work. It's difficult. It's stressful. It's exhausting but it's worth it. It's a spiritual warfare that you enter into. And when you enter into this this, this combat of inviting people to believe the gospel, do not be surprised when you are rejected, 
When people stiff arm you, when they mock you, make fun of you, when they belittle you. But may I say to you, it's not you that they hate. It's Christ in you. Darkness hates the light. And so when people persecute or oppose you and the message that you preach, it's not you. It's Christ. That's what Jesus said. In John chapter 3, Jesus said, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. Do not be surprised that when you preach Jesus to your neighbors and your co-workers and even your own family, that you face opposition. But if we study church history, we see that this is normal for followers of Jesus. Throughout church history, our brothers and sisters have been rejected, scoffed, mocked, belittled. They've been passed over. They've been lied about, cursed at, screamed at, bullied, punched, kicked, beaten, robbed, intimidated, and even murdered. And this is part of being a faithful follower of Jesus. We must not be surprised by this. As Paul and Barnabas are engaging the proconsul, as they're engaging Sergius Paulus, this intelligent leader of the nation of Cyprus, a man who can have a huge influence for the sake of the gospel, Elymas is standing in the way, opposing them, trying to prevent the proconsul from believing the gospel. And what we see here is the reminder that not everyone you share the gospel with is going to believe, and in fact, they may right out reject you. But this is also a reminder that their response is not up to you. You can't save anybody. And that's good news. It means the pressure's off. It means that you and I can't save anybody. As much as I wish as I could control salvation, As much as I wish that I could be used by God just to say, okay, you're saved and you're saved and you're saved. And here's the down part. I would see somebody and say, oh, I don't know about you. I'm going to move on to someone else. (laughs) Jonah 2.9, salvation is of the Lord. uh, Psalm 3, verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Psalm 62.1, my salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, which means the pressure is off. You can't save anybody. Christ is the one who saves sinners. We are the ones who make the introduction. This is good news. It means that even when you share the gospel and you just blow it, like you you, you say the verse wrong. One time I was preaching and I, I just... I said Romans 1.16, but it was actually in a different book of the Bible, and I got it wrong, and I was just like, oh, Kenneth, what are you doing? And then like the person is like, I'm ready to trust in Christ. And I'm like, well, I, that doesn't make sense. You're not ready, because I just blew it. I got the, the Spirit's like, I don't need you, Kenneth. You just make the introduction, I'll take care of the rest. When, one of my favorite rooms on our campus is our atrium. Because out there, there's all kinds of introductions being made. 
you walk up to somebody this morning, which I hope you do, please, every week, meet somebody you don't know. Please, please, please. It, it's just a, such a gift to get to build those relationships, meet new people. Some of you introverts are saying, no, don't say that. Listen, I need you. I need you. Meet new people, right? But when you're out there and say, hey, I'm so-and-so. Hey, great to meet you. Where are you from? Oh, you're from there? No way. I know so-and-so from there. That's great. And you begin making these connections and, hey, this is my family. You make those, those connections. That's a picture of evangelism. Evangelism is introducing someone to Jesus. Hey, let me tell you about my best friend. His name's Jesus. He's born in Bethlehem, but he was, he was raised in Galilee over in the Nazareth area. And he lived this perfect life. And he, he died on the cross. He was buried, but he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he comes back to life. And by the way, this is his family. It's the church, right? We introduce people to Jesus. We tell them about him He's the one who changes the heart. Jesus is the one who rescues people, not us. But we just make the introduction. Now, some people will reject you. Some people will oppose you. But your job is not to force a friendship. Your job is not to force belief upon anybody. We plant the seed. We point our neighbors and the nations to Christ. And we trust that he will do what he does, which is to save. As for Elymas, Paul had enough. Full of the Holy Spirit, he tells the man, you're about to become blind. His spiritual blindness and negative gospel influence have reached its apex. Elymas' spiritual blindness leads to physical blindness. This is something that Paul was very familiar with. For when Jesus encountered him on the Damascus road, he too became blind for a brief time. My hope is that at some point, Elymas put his faith in Jesus. We don't know. But verse 11 is also a reminder. Judgment eventually comes for the wicked. In Job chapter 20, Scripture says, Don't you know that ever since antiquity, from the time a human was placed on earth, the joy of the wicked has been brief. And happiness of the godless has lasted only a moment. And as the world around us rejoices in wickedness, as the world around us celebrates what God hates, as our culture spirals into greater and greater perversion and godlessness, know this, the joy of the wicked is brief. It's momentary. And God will bring judgment. And the reality of God's judgment, may it not lead us to contempt or to spiritual pride, but rather to compassion. For we too were once lost. We too were once depraved. All of us, according to Romans 3, we were wicked in our hearts but God, by His grace, opened our hearts to believe the gospel. We have trusted in Jesus. So we pray for our enemies that the judgment of God does not fall upon them, but that they would humble themselves and look by faith to Jesus where God's judgment fell upon Him at the cross. You see, any way you put it, Sin will be punished by the righteous judge before whom we must all give an account. It has to be. 
He who is holy, the perfect, just judge, must punish transgression. And for anyone who doesn't trust in Jesus, the judgment of God falls upon them in a place that Jesus describes as hell. And the reason that hell is eternal is because their sins are never perfectly atoned for. But we pray that the judgment of God for their sin does not fall upon them, but rather we're praying that the judgment that they deserve would fall upon Christ. That at the cross, that Jesus, he gave his life that anybody who repents and trusts in Jesus by faith, the judgment of God is no longer upon you, but it fell upon Christ for you. So that's why we as a church, as those who've been purchased by the blood of Christ, we can rejoice and dance and celebrate over Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That you're no longer under judgment. You're no longer under condemnation. The judgment that you deserved rightly was planted squarely upon the shoulders of Jesus. Where he satisfies the wrath of God for your sin completely. He drinks the cup dry of God's wrath so that you can be rescued. Now, the judgment of God now no longer falls on you because it fell upon Christ for you the moment you believe the gospel. Today, believe upon Jesus. If you don't know Christ, please repent of your sin and trust in him by faith. Say, Jesus, I'm ready to walk away from my old life. I'm ready to give up my life, my sin, everything that was all about me. I'm ready to leave that world behind. And Jesus, I'm ready to follow you now. You can have all of my heart. You can have all of my life. I'm following you. I've got to have you. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Doesn't matter your past. Doesn't matter how sinful you are. What terrible decisions and choices you've made. No matter how great your shame, the cross is greater still. That the blood of Jesus is sufficient to pay for all of your sin. You trust in Christ and he will receive you. This is what the gospel, it's such good news. And the more you realize how broken you are, you realize how precious Jesus is. You love him, you follow him. Why? Because he first loved you and pursued you in the gospel. This is the message that we preach. And all that we would be a church of not professional pew sitters, but a church of preachers. Men and women who take the gospel to the nations and to our neighbors. That's the whole idea behind Lift. I shared with our church last month, Lift. We are looking to get the gospel to the nations and our neighbors. And it's a long-term strategy. It's going to take us years to get to the point where I hope or we are just sending people to the nations. Every person is trained, but we're pursuing this. We're a church that's not inward focused, but outward focused. We're keeping our eyes lifted to the harvest. We preach Christ. We're going to face opposition. And we're going to see the opposite, which is the fourth thing we see right here. We're going to see the reception to the gospel of God. Proconsul Sergius Pallas, an influential government leader in Cyprus, He's open to the gospel. 
Verse 7 says that he summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. I love this. Not only is he seeking and open, he knows where to go to hear the word. And this is true for you as well. That if you will joyfully and humbly preach Jesus, if you continue to be a winsome witness, you don't get discouraged or frustrated or angry, but full of joy, you keep preaching Christ when the people in your life, when their kingdom comes crashing down, they know where to go. They know who to talk to. They're like, there is something different about this guy. There's something different about this lady. I know where to go to hear the word. Here is Sergius Paulus, this influential leader. And as Paul and Barnabas are preaching Christ, they're bringing the word of God to bear all across the nation. He hears about what God's doing, and he's like, I need to go see them. And the people in your life who don't know Christ, hear me on this, eventually their kingdom will come crashing down. Because every life that is built upon a foundation other than Jesus will come crashing down. They're building their lives on quicksand. Jesus said the rains will come and the winds will blow and the house that's planted on the sand will come crashing down. And so when their life comes crumbling down, they're going to think of you. They're going to come to you and say, my life's a mess. What do I do? And you get to point them to the rock. You get to invite them to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and tell them when you build your life upon the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, your life will stand firm in the midst of trial and hardship. You get to behold the gospel and hold it up and point to Christ and watch how God works. The Spirit is working on Paulus and he's calling him, wooing him to salvation so much so that verse 12, then when he saw what happened, the proconsul believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This week I read something that was just so encouraging to me. According to 19th century archaeologist Sir William Ramsey, he discovered on the island of Cyprus a document and on this document, it said that Paulus' daughter became a Christian. And not only her, but also her son, Gaius. He became a believer. Three generations of believers in one family, all because the church in Antioch sent out their best. As these men are turning the country upside down with the gospel, God is calling people to himself and he is turning and transforming generations to himself. And as the clouds of darkness fall upon the eyes of Elymas, the light of the gospel is opened in the eyes of Paulus. The proconsul, he jumped kingdoms. He went from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. His life was transformed. He was a different person because of Jesus. And you and I get to be a part of seeing that happen. Well, Kenneth, how do we do that? What are you calling us to? I'm calling our church to this. It's your impact point. Preach Christ and trust God with the results. 
You preach Christ and you trust God with the results. You are like the mailman. Your job, deliver the message. You're not at liberty to change the message. You can't control how the person's going to receive the message. Your job is just to be faithful, to deliver it. And you trust God with the results. Question is, are you willing to say yes? Are you willing to say, God, here is my life. I want to be a missionary where you've already planted me. And I want to be used by you to reach people with the gospel. Question is, are we willing to send our children to the nations? Are we willing to say, God, you can have all of my life, but you can have my family? Are we as a church willing to say, God, send out our best? You can have all of us and send us for the sake of knowing Christ.